Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host, Mark Kennedy. Joined again this week by Liam Abre- Liam Hurtings. Mighty Mark, yourself? Oh, good, good. Yeah, we're kind of leading into this weekend anyway. URC action back, so we'll have a preview of round eight. We'll also reflect on last weekend, Ireland's 13-10 win over the Wallabies in the Viva. Also run the rule over some standout performances in the Autumn International Series last weekend. And have a look this weekend as well, where Wales-Australia looks particularly tasty. Liam, can we start maybe at the Viva Stadium uh, last Saturday evening? 13-10 Ireland against Australia. Uh, What were your overall thoughts in terms of the test match? And probably secondly here, the scope for improvement from Ireland on the performance as well. Yeah, so like, look, we, we we got the win, which was very important to be unbeaten for the Automation Series. And um, I enjoyed the match for, in a funny way. <laughs> I really like, you know, when the breakdown is so contested and Hooper was just like, he was back and he was there and he was everywhere. And they definitely, you know, Australia, they had the players to play this, this nickety game um, where they disrupt you, your, your play. And I thought they were very effective, I suppose is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. And even though they did nothing, to be honest, <laughs> for, you know, after about 10 minutes on, they did nothing really for in terms of attacking wise in the rest of the game. They were very effective at stopping us from playing. I completely agree with you there. I think for Australia and Dave Rennie, backroom staff and players, I think that's an opportunity lost. Just given the possession they had, Liam, during the, the game. I mean, if you look at the, the match stats, uh, they had 56% possession during the 80 minutes, 52% territory. And if you consider the first half here, Liam, Ireland had to go well deep into the tackle count. I think at one stage, was it Van der Fleer was on 17, 18 tackles after about 35 minutes. So really did kind of show the tail of the tape here in terms of Australia kind of controlling the tempo, controlling most aspects of play, particularly the breakdown area, but not really getting points on the board. And uh, I suppose the news before the game, the late withdrawal of Johnny Sexton, Jack Crowley in. So I suppose, Liam, from that perspective, Ireland probably relatively happy to be going in, training in at halftime, just given the, the tackle count that they had to endure in that opening period. Yeah, it was training at halftime, but we have to remember, whatever, after about two minutes, uh, Nick White got it down and it was just called back for... I suppose that high arm on the neck and um, rightly called back, you know, but I mean, it, it was a good work try that they got. They also had uh, Bernard Foley had an absolutely awful penalty miss. So you have to put oh, it in no. perspective there. That's, that's like, that's like 10 points, you know, in the first 20 minutes that the, the, the Aussies um, didn't capitalize on it. That was probably the key period when they were like really at war, went on top and it was Ireland just tackling, just tackling. But um, yeah, so the first half was kind of Crowley was there as well. Came on, I was delighted to be honest about it. <laughs> in a way, to see to see that Crowley was was getting his start because it's important, you know what I mean, it, to get a few caps together between now and the end of the Six Nations. Um, personally, I thought that Crowley was a bit babied. I thought that Jameson Gibson Park's game was affected. I thought Matt Hansen's game was affected by taking care of Crowley. Maybe I'm reading it completely wrong. Uh, and uh, obviously, with our problems at the breakdown, too, he didn't have an awful lot of ball. 
um, in that first half. Thought Crowley was solid, Dolim. You know, given the notice twelve minutes before a test match that you're being thrust into the limelight, so I think the paternal instincts kind of kicked in with certainly Gibson Park for sure. Definitely in terms of our back row, we're looking to support Crowley at any given point, particularly when you saw first phase possession really being targeting Crowley's wing. I mean, Crowley didn't do anything really badly on the night. I thought I thought he just played solid, which is. For the guy, given the perspective and the circumstance, I think that's more than a compliment to Crowley. And it sets him up probably nicely here uh, in terms of maybe getting future craps. Because I know definitely, Liam, we've been kind of shouting to see what our depth chart was in terms of without Johnny Sexton. Now, we've certainly seen it here a little bit in terms of Jack Crowley's cameo and also Ross Burns. But um, yeah, Again, we were kicking an awful lot of ball away. Like Gibson Park's game certainly was affected. To be honest, like Gibson Park's really effective when he's really passing that ball out. I mean, his kicking game can be a little bit, I think, a mixed bag. And so it kind of proves. So we were kicking an awful lot of ball away. And I mean, the possession count, particularly in that first half, kind of was 39% for Ireland. And really, it was an indication that we were trying to kick touch finders, just literally kind of stay in the game, essentially. So I think from an Ireland perspective here, you know, Crowley, I suppose, can feel relatively happy that he's got through his first test match without many, any glaring errors. But it did definitely inhibit some game plan uh, execution there if Sexton wasn't there. Yeah, but also, I suppose, look, uh, we have to remember, it was so tight, wasn't it? It was so tight every time Ireland got the ball, the Aussies were like in their face. I suppose, yeah, sometimes you're kind of looking just in general for Ireland, kicking, yes, but you kick correctly isn't that we always look at teams what kind of kicking strategy they have and not not quite kicking into the air and maybe kicking through kicking behind you know yeah yeah I mean look it was a kind of game that 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 showed that there's nothing between again the top whatever nine ten nations you know there's literally nothing in it on the day and I think maybe for us going forward we have to kind of maybe find some other way of getting a more comfortable victory because this was really like dogfight, you know, which could have went either way. I suppose, look, in the second half, we also have to remember, like, the Aussies, what happened, I suppose, was that the, um, for me, Bondiaki, I think Bondiaki was held up. (laughs) I don't know how you could quite have given that. Like, when I say held up, as in those two Aussie guys under him, under the ball, right? But, But good on him. Like, I mean, he... His angle was of run was 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 perfect, uh, spot on. And then we had the the Aussie Mall towards the end there, where we had the the sub Aussie scrum half come in completely off the side. Um, yeah, that was just bonkers altogether. Yeah, what did you think about that, Dean? Uh, I mean, still kind of in the balance. Bernard Foley had slotted the penalty on fifty five minutes to make it three all. I mean. At that stage, you know, the scoring kind of spectacle really didn't live up to our pre-match hype. But what was your reading in terms of Farrell's decision here to um, substitute McCluskey, essentially? I thought McCluskey, given the limited ball, I thought front five for Ireland, I think there's there's big question marks on it. That performance didn't think they set a platform. But what was your decision or what did you think in terms of McCluskey's substitution? Bundy's coming in, obviously, after his lengthy ban looking for an impression and certainly gets that. But what did you feel on McCluskey's performance uh, here? Uh, did it justify a substitution? 
Well, look, I mean, cer- certainly it, it, um, he carried very, very well. I mean, he does add to, to Ireland's game. You know, he, he really is a, a huge ball-carrying option. But at the same time, I can understand, like, you're coming to the end of the automation series, the, you know, the autumn series, and Aki wouldn't have been involved in any game minutes at all, really. Um, so I can kind of actually understand why Aki came on. I really actually can. He does give, you know, such um, a directness, you know, and, and he, he, he is so dangerous close to the line. I think, again, he, we need to improve his tackling or someone needs to just, that's the only, you know, the only kind of big thing that he has to really improve on. He has to improve on his tackling technique. But yeah, I mean, I, look, he took his try well. Exactly. I suppose the stats really kind of reading McCluskey had 11 carries for, was it 31 metres? Well-earned metres at that. And I suppose defensively wise, you know, he'd one turnover, six tackles, two missed. Yeah, Bundy does come in, obviously, with Casey as well. So I see Casey have a very prominent cameo off the bench. I suppose Bundy, you know, in terms of, as you say yourself, two tackles, one missed. So there was that one where there was a kind of a nice foray from Australia. And it did look as if uh, Bundy was a little bit exposed defensively. But given the try and everything else and Crowley slotting over 10-3, I thought Australia just roared back into this contest with a big way, culminating in 17 minutes with that uh, well-worked try. Yeah, you, you hardly ever see it anymore. Yeah, like, I mean, literally, they, they went down the end of the pitch and uh, Patea scored uh, a try. Love, lovely um, backline move. So, and it was, yeah, you, again, when you think about it, it was one of the only times in, in the match that Australia got, got a, a backline move like that together. But again, it's, it's you know, Will Skelton is always prominent, isn't he? He's just, yeah. <laughs> it's all Will Skelton, you know? He, he His carrying is just unbelievable. Yeah, um, well worked try and 10 all. And then, look, I mean, then it could have went either way that game. Exactly. I suppose even kind of going to that Petia try, you know, not a lot of questions probably in that Ireland defence, you know, not a lot of uh, a big overlap for Australia. I suppose Jimmy O'Brien here was left no man's land a little bit, wasn't he? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, if, if you look back on it at the end, he ran in, again, nice, I, I keep saying nice arcing run, but he ran in and there was five or six Irish guys like, you know, either side of him, wasn't there? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean, and they were all, they were all turned, their backs were turned, and as he was just going through, yeah, I mean, so yeah, that was a bit of a, a glaring defensive frailty, for sure. All credit to uh, Will Skelton, I mean, you know, there was eight carries, 16 metres, but I mean, it was just the quality of the carries, totally, wasn't it? I mean, he's taken out five, six Irish guys out on a, on a play here, you know, and you know, if you're, I suppose we get to Nick White in a minute, but in terms of your scrum half, you know, it's very nice, quick ruck ball to be presenting here. And it really did set up a Jordan Pettia's try. I mean, Bernard Foley's conversion, 10 all, you say, game as well in the melting pot. By this stage, Ross Byrne had been introduced for Jack Crowley, who, to be honest, had a very solid debut. And uh, I suppose, what's your readings in terms of the scrum uh, that led to Ross Byrne's game-winning penalty here? seeing a bit of Twitter reaction that was kind of a 50-50 call uh, from Ben O'Keefe uh, that went Ireland's way. Uh, what was your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a 50-50 call, really, you know. But, um, yeah, I just thought that, look, I, I, I thought that Ben O'Keefe made the, the correct decision on the day. 
um, for the penalty. And uh, yeah, Ross Burnley, he, he was a tough kick uh, that he had to slot. Like it wasn't easy by any means, you know. But I suppose that's one thing you can say about Ross Byrne. He's a quality goal kicker. He really can slot them. So he's got himself back in the mix as well, you know? Back in the pack anyway, at least. Certainly, because uh, we, we said in this podcast last week, Liam, that this was a massive opportunity for Ross Byrne. Now, when we had recorded this podcast at the start of last week, we hadn't envisaged in terms of Johnny Sexton pulling out of the match day squad 12 minutes before kickoff time. But, I mean, for Ross Byrne to be within that training environment to impress Andy Farrell, Mike Hatt, Simon Easterby and the backroom staff, you know, it was an opportunity for him to really kind of show what he was worth. And, I mean, Liam, in terms of clutch kicks, that is a clutch kick given the conditions that were in the Aviva on Saturday night. And I think he's done his chances no harm at all when you consider likes of Kieran Frawley. He's out for a few months with the knee surgery. In terms of Jack Crowley, will continue to prosper, or will he? At Munster, you know, you've Joey Carberry there as well and Ben Healy. I suppose from a Ross Byrne perspective here, you know, maybe looking for a few games before Christmas to maybe impress a little bit more. But I think for Ross Byrne, just given the comp- the complexity of the game, it's a nice note for him to kind of really say to Andy Farrell that he's there. He can handle the pressure when it's applied. Yeah, and look, it, it, as you said, with Frawley out, and to be honest, I think he's nearly root himself out of Six Nations at this stage, you know. You're looking at four, four out-halves there in Sexton, Carberry, uh, Crowley and Byrne, of which three are going to be picked. So it's a glorious opportunity. I think it's a glorious opportunity for for the, the, the three uh, understudies, I suppose we call them, to Sexton. Yeah, because <laughs> you didn't mention a certain Connacht fly half here by the name of uh, Jack Carty, but... Uh... Are we assuming here that Andy Farrell is just literally looking beyond Jack Carty now at this stage, given November internationals and kind of trusting Ross Byrne into this squad come the latter end of the series? Well, yeah, it's not it's not just Ross Byrne was was picked ahead of I suppose Crowley. He was picked ahead of Healian, and you could say Billy Burns and all, all, all these other guys. So I I think you know those four maybe for a Frawley if he comes back from injury, those are the the the, the names now for number ten definitely. Yeah, and I think it really all depends now, Liam, on game time for these prodigies, whatever you want to call it, once Johnny Sexton departs stage left from a Leinster and Ireland rugby perspective, you know, who's the guy to really kind of take on the mantle? Uh, I think an awful lot of games in the next few weeks will probably determine the pecking order here. And it's just very unfortunate, Joey Carberry again, isn't it? You know, we talked about it at length here last week on that Fiji game, you know, just getting into a run of form. And all of a sudden, Tasui basically the tackle here. He's out for a number of weeks. Well, like, like I, 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 res- I respect uh, Raj, right, in the sense of obviously he was a great out half, but he would be a good judge of character. And if he thinks that Crowley's potentially the next yeah. main man, and and the key thing was he wanted to nab him for for a while there for La Rochelle as well, you know, to bring him over, that would indicate like that he that he sees something in in Crowley. And look, we have situation now, I suppose, on Saturday, where we have Crowley and we have Healy, and who do they go with? And there, there is still, to me, that like sub, sub subterfuge where potentially Healy is gone at the end of the season. So from now on, as in from now to the Six Nations, potentially it's 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 Crowley that gets all the game time. Yeah, I think it's intriguing, Darlene, definitely, and we'll touch on that in a little bit when we looked at Interpro and Tom Park, but. I suppose going back to this Iron Australia game, can I get your thoughts in terms of Nick White and the the HIA rule? I did see Matt Williams's comments 
and there was a little bit of a, a tense standoff, if you want to call that, with Rob Kearney, Joe Malloy. In all honesty here, Liam, how is the scrum half that's just absolutely rattled on the pitch coming back in after AHIA, after not one, but two knocks that he got in double quick time? Yeah, look, it's 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 look, it's it's a really terrible thing to see um, at the highest level. But uh, you know, then then you have to question. Well, how was Nick White signed off to come back on the pitch? Like, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, and I suppose look, the thing is, you could say, yeah, okay, he passed, he passed the HIA. But even at that, like as you say, as you point out, when you get those few knocks, that should pretty much be at least stood down for the game. You know, the rest of the game. Kind of say, is there any point in really after that to be looking at at, a, at doing a HIA? And then I suppose, look, there's the whole question of, as management, say Dave Rennie and, and his backroom team, should they have just taken the decision, look, man, that's it for you today, possibly? I think the whole HIA procedure needs a complete and utter review ahead of 2023 in the Rugby World Cup, because we are going to get more instances here, Liam, whether we like it or not. You know, the the determination to win a game at all costs here um, seems to have really kind of been the dominant force here in terms of Nick White coming on the pitch. Obviously, they sensed an opportunity to get a scalp here in the Aviva, bring him back on. But like the HIA tests, everything about it, medical professionals looking at what happened here. I mean, player kind of saying, yeah, I want to come back on the pitch. But medical professional-wise, you know, I'd... You'd kind of wonder at times here in terms of that, you know, medical staff, the welfare of players being paramount. Sometimes it's thrown out the window. I think it certainly was in the Nick White's case. And, you know, I hate to say it, but will there be an occasion here where a player comes back on after kind of a heavy knock and unfortunately doesn't recover live on a TV screen? Um, That would be shocking for the sport. But are we kind of leading down to that garden path here, uh, Liam, in terms of that? Yeah, we, we, we potentially are. I mean, look, there's always I think in terms of World Cups before this where we had players, I suppose, you know, professional players against semi-professional and amateur players. I think that that, that gap is pretty much there in the all professional players now, right? But um then yeah, when you look at it in the other way, the the pressure to win in games, a player would want to come back. It's it's natural. But they just should, shouldn't be allowed to come back, really. But yeah, hopefully World Rugby have been looking at these test matches, particularly the Ireland games, because it really has kind of brought into focus in terms of player welfare in the last two weekends. We have seen very serious kind of uh, HIA instances here. Uh, Joey Carby having to be withdrawn. And then you have another case where Nick White comes on the pitch after two heavy knocks. I mean, there's no consistency in terms of the HIA protocols here, so... Hopefully, Bill Beaumont and the World Rugby are uh, kind of looking at that pretty closely after November International Series. I suppose, Liam, kind of going away from Ireland, Australia, Autumn International Series last weekend, what other results kind of stood out for you? Well, yeah, um, I'd have to give some sort of credit, I suppose, to England to come back from 25-6 down with 10 minutes to go. Because, I mean, really, for most of that game, New Zealand would have been in control. And it would have been just a, a few, they were three tries to nil. They, you know, I suppose Farrell got a few penalties. And so it was amazing. I mean, you don't come back in international rugby from 19, 20 points down 10 minutes ago. You just don't. <laughs> so it's it's also, um, for Eddie Jones, it's it's uh, an important result. 
I know it's only a draw, but I mean, in context of the way the game went and to come out unbeaten against New Zealand is also very important. And yeah, um, you know, the, the England came back strongly in the last 10 minutes. Um, Marcus Smith, for me, was, was like very prominent. Um, he really does light up the games. It was his big carries, I, I guess, in the in the for the first try there for the prop Smith or Stewart, should I say Marcus Stewart? Yeah, Stewart. Yeah. And then we had Freddie Stewart um, going over for a World War try. So that that was a massive result. Exactly, because I mean, in fairness to England, they did have great moments in that opening period, but let themselves down with some unforced errors. I mean, think of the Dalton Papali try. Me and its interceptors, an absolute stamp addressed envelope pass from a lineout. You know, stuff like that is complete ball breaks. If you're a head coach like Eddie Jones on that, Cody Taylor also scoring with inside the first 10 minutes. And I suppose what you can say about England here is the resiliency. Did you get a sense here, Liam, that 19 points down with 10 minutes to go? England just threw off the shackles, I thought, in terms of their attacking play. They just played what was in front of them and three tries resulted maybe it's a, a a signal or a message to Eddie Jones and Martin Gleeson in terms of uh, how England should be playing the game from now on yeah I mean I mean England before you know it was almost you know the game was basically they had unbelievable forwards up front and then they had incredible backs and they they, they did they did let it go you know in the past they, let, they did let the ball out but yeah it, it hasn't been that sort of a game that England have been playing recently and I agree with you there it's kind of a quite a dour unimaginative game and you kind of get the sense that the players are better than that the players who are there are, are actually better than what's been served up so yeah i mean the shackles were off yeah absolutely and potentially the shackles could be off this weekend again against south africa and it's 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 good to see free thrown rugby and and a kind of a excitement when when their their wingers and their outside backs get the ball yeah, I completely agree, Liam. And I think the cohesion between the forward unit and the backs, particularly we've seen there in the last 10, 15 minutes. But there was an awful lot of good moments there for England, particularly in that second half, they, or first half. They certainly built momentum, didn't put points on the board. But that last 10 minutes, there was definitely that synergy, that cohesion between the forward pack and also the, the, the backs was superb. You know, Stuart full back here, it was a great try, you know, and it stretched New Zealand to absolute breaking point. You know, granted, New Zealand were down to 14 players, but take nothing away on top from England. And built on the performance of Japan, we were unsure in terms of that form line going into the New Zealand game. But certainly in England now, if they can get a result against South Africa, from all a little bit doom and gloom, uh, particularly after the Argentinian result, they will be kind of coming out of this November Test Match International Series with some renewed hope and optimism and maybe stumbling upon a game plan but the players are buying into and the coaches are as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think for England, I mean, they're looking at one from four if they don't get over the line this Saturday, you know, one win, a draw, two losses. So there's kind there's kind of a bit of pressure there on Eddie Jones, but he, he does, you'd have to back, back him because he always seems to pull it out at the very last uh, minute just when he's about, you know, to get the heave-ho. Yeah, I, I've, I, I've a feeling that... Um, you know, two laggies back there, 
who he, re- he really is key. There's no doubting about it. He really is key. Um, the the Vonnie Polas. Uh, I, I thought Henry Slade, what a, a fabulous like kind of rugby player he is. Yeah. I um I, I think himself and Tuilagi, actually, to be honest with you, should be should be England centres like by far and away the best. So yeah, they, they have a lot of optimism going into the next this next game, England. Exactly, because Slade was out in match day squad and even out of the England squad at the start of this autumn international series, which I've heard it from you multiple times about Henry Slade. We've seen him in the flesh for Exeter Chiefs against Munster. Quality player, you know, such an astute footballer, game reader. And the fact that he's now in the fold, I think maybe Eddie Jones is now seeing more of what Henry Slade that we've seen, particularly with Exeter Chiefs. So I think Turiangi is the be-all, end-all in terms of that three quarters, that forward ball, really creating good ruck ball here for the outside uh, backs here. So I think all in all, it'll be a fascinating game. I suppose the game that kind of picked my kind of notice was Scotland-Argentina, 52-20. Again, it doesn't really tell the story, does it? After 23 minutes, Marcus Kramer sent off. Dangerous clear out. I don't think there's any issue on that. Carl Dickinson probably spot on with the red card. But Argentina, you know, we're only four points down at the break. But the numerical advantage really did pay off. And I suppose Finn Russell to the fore here, Liam. Yeah, Finn Russell and Darcy Graham. <laughs> he, he's quite an under, underrated player himself, isn't he? Like, you know, really probably one of the best wingers in, in the URC. I just think that, that results-wise, Scotland have nearly come out of this Autumn Nations nearly up 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 at the top, you know. Obviously, you've got the French and and Ireland, but then you could you could the Scots they've done very well, um, with their victories, you know, probably again should have beat New Zealand. They seem to be on an upward curve for some reason. Yeah, no, I think they can be relatively happy. I think we mentioned last week was the last opportunity against New Zealand. I think Gregor Townsend pretty much said that after press conference of that New Zealand game. But I mean, to finish the international series campaign on a high, and given the physicality that was here, Liam, I was watching the game, and to be brutally honest, I was surprised that only Marcus Kramer only saw red, because, I mean, there were flashpoints all over the pitch. Carl Dickinson needed eyes in the back of his head at times, with five yellow cards in the second half, three for Argentina, two for Scotland. And to be perfectly fair, again, you know, down to 13 players, you know, likes of Darcy Graham out wide, you know, he'll only spot half a gap, he's gone. A Scotland perspective, probably pleasing in terms of that they got the win, the manner of the win. But I suppose from Argentinian perspective here as well, down to 14 players, down to 13 players, the result's probably inevitable. But they can look back on this international series with some pride, particularly on the Twickenham performance and their win uh, against England. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like a, a, a kind of a, a nurse st- standout performance for Argentina, who, you know, at the end of the day, they've now beaten England in Twickenham and they've beaten the Aussies, they've beaten New Zealand. So, yeah, I mean, look, they'll, they'll, they'll close the, this year, you know, looking back on it as being a very productive year for Argentinian rugby. They're, they're kind of back, basically, in a way. Exactly. Suppose we could look very quickly to Principality Stadium last weekend. A historic victory for Georgian rugby against Wales. We mentioned it last week. I mean, that we, I've, I felt they had a bit of a half a chance going in against Wales. Maybe Wales looking at their depth chart a little bit, and so it proved. Is Wayne Pivak under massive pressure to get a result against Australia this weekend? Oh, he certainly is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think of all the coaches, it's all about context. And, and in this context, he is definitely 
the most under pressure. I mean, it's been pointed out that in the same year, we've had Wales lose at home to Georgia and Italy, which for any other nation, like, would be instantly you'd be gone, you know? And we're now looking at an, an Australian team pretty much missing a ridiculous amount of players, <laughs> first-team players. So, like, if Wales can't beat a patched-up team like that, you really have to question uh, what's happening. Now, again, you see, maybe one thing I've learned from the Autumn series is you simply can't play your second-string team entirely, like, anymore and think you're going to get a get a victory. I think the Aussies found that their cost against Italy. I think Wales found that their cost against Georgia. If I'm right in thinking this, I think in the last scrum where where Georgia demolished uh, Wales in the 76th minute for for a penalty, I think Wales had some like really young lads on. They had some uh, they had an under 20 Welsh prop. You know, you have to mm. put it. So it's all about putting it into perspective here. I, I I congratulate Georgia, but there there's other things to think about. But yeah, um, look, it's also I think ironic that like you know Wales are at the lowest ebb in the rugby, and potentially could be at their highest ebb in in football. So there's there's a, there's a change in there. I think I think even the the rugby players in Wales, the Sam Morburtons and all that, see that there's an awful lot to do basically to get Wales back in rugby. It's an interesting analogy you've actually posed there in terms of Wales in the World Cup in Qatar, soccer at the crest of a wave in the country, and you see the national rugby team, which is the heartbeat of the nation, and how they're struggling, you know. But, I mean, they're 12-3 up at halftime here, Liam. I mean, Jack Morgan scores two good tries, I thought. Good quick, you know, play the balls here. Good quick ruck delivery. Um, but again, never really kicked on, and there was a sensational try there from Georgia. You know, Sandra Datua, um, just collecting that crossfield kick and touching down, really putting the game in a melting pot. But as you say, we have to put it into perspective, and I think you've mentioned a great point here in terms of maybe the Autumn International Series. Gone are the days here where you can really disregard a Test match opponent, particularly the likes of a Georgia or Italy, for that matter, if you're going to play complete inexperience, you need to complement it with experienced players here to go through the difficult moments. And as as you said, maybe Australia found their cost, particularly in Florence, in week three. But now Wales have found their cost here against Georgia, particularly in those closing stages. But, I mean, the performance from Wales was so disjointed here that... A game against Australia this weekend, really, you look at Dave Rennie, you look at Wayne Pivak here, I mean, whoever loses this has a very, very awkward Autumn to International Series review with their respective Rugby Union Association boards. And what are the chances whoever loses here next Saturday night is going to be out of a job heading into a World Cup next year? Yeah, um, you, you, you just would have to imagine that Wales will win. Just, just in terms of they'll have a much stronger team than last week. Plus, Australia are really down to the bare bones, I reckon, in terms of their available players for selection. You also have to remember, like, you know, when they got that try, when Georgia scored a try in the 58th minute, Alex Cuthbert was, was gone. So Wales, Wales were down a, a winger. They were down 14 men. So, you know, again, there there, there was a bit of, of um fa- contributing factors there, right? But yeah, I just I, I feel that it'll be obviously the 
if the Aussie coach loses, I think he has to be gone. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Like his win record is only probably 35-37% at the moment. Lehman for an Australian head coach of any coach. That's literally vultures in the air, media circling. So it'll be interesting to see what the outcome here is with Australia. And flipping on the other side with Wales, with Wayne Pivak, I suppose, look at his record in the calendar year. It's not going to inspire confidence. As you say, look at the home record. You know, you're losing to Italy in the final Six Nations game of this season. And you're also losing to Georgia here. And I mean, some of the performances have been well below par and been well and truly beaten by New Zealand as well. I mean, Australia and Wales know each other inside out. I don't think there's going to be anything in this game. But I think uh, even when Pivak here, I think an awful lot of Welsh fans here kind of looking for answers here from the Welsh Rugby Union board here. Unfortunately, maybe Wayne Pivak may be kind of the, the fall guy here if the result doesn't go to plan on Saturday. Look, I mean, they're, they're also without, again, you know, in terms of the nations that have been most affected with injury, the Aussies certainly have, and Wales have too, you know. So I think that has to be kind of put in perspective. But yeah, look, I, I would almost bank on, on Wales getting the win against, against um, Australia. Even though, funny enough, I think Australia have more of a chance in the World Cup right now than 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 Wales and and Bernard Jackman himself <laughs> thinks thinks so too. Yeah, I I certainly think Australia there's an awful lot of upside. If you think of the players that are unavailable for selection, just even due to their international ruling, they got half those players back here, Liam. They'll be an irresistible force in France 2023, and I think I not wanting to put. Dave Rennie down here or anything like that but I mean that selection policy would need to be really considered here heading into next year particularly and that World Cup I suppose leaving that week four I mean South Africa go to Genoa and beat a resurgent Italy 63-21 Japan gave as good as they got against France and Toulouse but ultimately lost 35-17 so I mean all in all it's kind of shaping up week five to be a very intriguing week here Aline so I've gotten your prediction from Wales, Australia. You fancy Wales here. Uh, close margin? Yeah, close margin. Six six points or, or, or thereabouts for Wales. They, they just, they have to win. They have to win at home. It's inconceivable that they would they would lose to what could be a second string Aussie side, you know? Yeah. And then culminating as well at 5.30 on Saturday, Saturday the 26th of November, with England and South Africa. I can't wait to see this pack exchange, Liam. Just in terms of the two front fives, how they go at it. Who do you fancy here to uh, secure a uh, morale boosting Autumn International Series finale win? Yeah, so Evan Roos starts at number eight finally. That's the big, the big thing. It'll be interesting to see how he goes. I, I would have went horses for courses and would have went for Jasper Visa and bring on Roos, you know, when the game opens up. But uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. I like that, you know, two laggies there. I like to see Devonny Polas back there. England will have a big bit of swagger back from from those last ten minutes against New Zealand, and so I get the the feeling that England will actually get the victory against South Africa. Even though, like when you look at the South African bench, they have a phenomenal bench compared to England right now. I I I feel England are going to open up basically and are rather unusually on Saturday, and that's going to be key. Yeah, I think the tactics here are going to be fascinating from England because, I mean, South Africa will want that physicality. They'll want that absolute battle up front. How do England play this? Now, they certainly do have a front five to really 
rival that of South Africa, I think. But as you say, it's the the closers that are coming in from South Africa with 25, 30 minutes to go. That could be a very decisive side. So I think from an England perspective, like Sir Marcus Smith, Owen Farrell, you know, really, again, the shackles have to be let off here a little bit at certain points to really stretch out this South African challenge. You know, really get that pack moving around the pitch and identifying kind of key areas where Freddie Stewart can really come and exploit when hitting the line. So I think for me, England, marginally though, Liam, I think there's only going to be three, five points in this because I can see South Africa coming back into this as the game wears on. And I think the breakdown is going to be absolutely fascinating as well. I think the referee on duty is going to have his work cut out here because both teams are just going to be absolutely, you know, on the limit in terms of their rock play. So, yeah, I think England three to five points here. I know it, and it'll culminate in a very exciting finale here to the international series and really whets the appetite, doesn't it, Name for uh, 2023 in France? Yeah, because what you're going to effectively have is a lot of the, 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 the top nine nations will have beaten their other opponents, which, which makes it incredibly uh, open going forward for the World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. No, really, as you said yourself, you nailed it there, Liam, earlier on. Anyone can beat anyone in that top 10 right now. And I think, you know, that has shown here in spades. We do have Six Nations. We have Rugby Championship to come in before we go to France in September, October. And I think an awful lot of subplots will be drawn from those tournaments. So all in all, I think it's been a very satisfying Autumn International Series. Liam will kind of switch from International Rugby Back to the URC. It's back after the November break. We're into round eight. I think make or break for certain teams here. I suppose the fixture of note from our perspective in our podcast really will be the one in Toman Park on Saturday night at 7.35 when Munster entertain Connacht, which will be a fiercely competitive game given what's at stake for both of these sides in the context of the season. Yeah, but I mean, again, you know, I know there was no points in offer, but... That that South African victory was was massive for just spirit and and bonding, and that certainly has to be taken forward and and hopefully brought in, um for this game as well. Uh, but yeah, as we kind of alluded to earlier, the whole Jack Crowley, the um, Ben Healy, who's going to, who's going to get the nod there, is going to be quite interesting, and even you know a dog bowl has put his hands up for for games going forward massively. Definitely, and I hope the, I hope it's available. Is Antoine Frisch? I, th- I think for the remaining games of the season, I think this this guy is electric, and we need his creativity. I just yeah, I, for for Connacht, I think Mac Hansen is out. I think Tierno Hanner is out, but they're they're going to be very very strong, and they're they're going to they're come looking for the win, and and why wouldn't they like you know? Because they were definitely well on top in the last game against us. We really have to to win, and we have to kind of win comprehensively. We have to hope that performance that we showed against the South Africans that that's going to be kind of replicated in some way, um, that we're a bit more expansive in our in our play as well. Yeah, I suppose pressure was off against South Africa. It was a marvelous occasion down at Parker Cave, and you know full value for that twenty eight fourteen win against that South Africa select fifteen. It's back to brass tacks here, Liam. And I mean, the Munster's record so far in the URC season has been a sorry sight. Two wins out of seven. So really, the revival needs to kick on now. Another loss here, Liam, going into a very competitive URC international block. 
They do have Edinburgh away. They also do have Leinster at home, Ulster away. I mean, they're daunting fixtures at the best of times. So really, it's imperative to get a win against Connacht. And again, look at the record of Connacht-Munster games in recent years. Connacht have been very competitive. And maybe they would have pointed to the fact that last season at Home Park, Connacht should have been heading back to Galway with the win, only for a last gasp Munster try to deny Connacht that win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they were they were going to be fully deserved actually last season um, in getting the victory in Tolman Park. But this season, look, we I, I look at the Munster squad and I see so much talent, and and so all we have to do is basically we have to hope that it clicks, and at some point that it clicks, and that it clicks this season rather than next season. You know, there's not much point in us saying we have these great development players and it'll be next season before we see the best of them. That simply isn't going to cut the mustard with, with with Munster fans because we're looking at on the barrel of maybe the margin of error now is maybe two or three games is all we can lose over the remaining URC fixture list. Like literally that's it. Or or otherwise we're not in Europe. That's that's how stark it is. So sometimes back backs against the wall, Munster perform best. And I expect that to happen on Saturday. I really do. Yeah, I mean if they can't get confidence out of that South Africa 15 performance then nothing will um, the Connacht Rugby's performance will be I think keenly observed given the news of Andy Friend departing as head coach I would imagine there will be a bit of a, a reaction there from the Connacht Rugby team but I think from a Munster perspective look at the guys that will be coming back in here uh, news here this week that like Savdeem Coombs Keith Earls, Sean Klein, they all returned to full training this week. Dave Kilcoyne rehabbing the shoulder. Not sure whether that'll be later on in the week. Keenan Knox, short-term knee injury. Anton Frisch, I think, is going to be a key cog for Munster. You know, imagine himself and Malachi Fikatoa pulling Fikatoa at 12, Frisch at 13. That could be an awesome partnership here for Munster. So it'd be interesting to see the nine and 10 who Munster go for here. I mean, Paddy Patterson didn't put a foot wrong against South Africa along with Ben Healy. You have Craig Casey and also Jack Crowley. That'll be eager to get game minutes as well. So I think training has been pretty competitive down in the university of Emmerich this week ahead of the fixture. Yeah, isn't it? It's, 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 it's cracking actually the, the kind of the combinations of halfbacks and yeah, Pat Patterson. Yeah. He's, he's certainly whenever he's played, he's, he's really stood out. Um, and then, of course, you have Craig Casey, who's come back on, on, on the back of a very excellent uh, showing in the Autumn Internationals as well. So that'll be intriguing to see who we have going forward, you know. I suppose, look, everyone thought that it was going to be Joey Carberry and Murray, but Carberry's gone now for for, for this foreseeable future. So it, it's uh, all to play for. Yeah, Murray as well with the groin injury that he sustained against South Africa as well. He's out long, well, I suppose long term a few weeks, I would say as well. So that gives opportunity for Patterson. Neil Cronin probably comes into the equation along with Craig Casey as well to really stamp an authority here in terms of that nine jersey. I suppose weather will probably be a factor in Tone Park on Saturday as well, Dean. Just in terms of long term weather forecast, it looks like it'll maybe a little bit of a washout in uh, Tone Park. Hey, what surprise anyway. We're end of November now at this stage. But uh, again, it'll be interesting to see which team adapt to the conditions. I suppose Connacht looking for expansive style, but their front five has been very impressive this year. And I think their lineout particularly has caused an awful lot of disruption for opposition. So Munster's lineout will be under the pump here. 
I've I've kind of a funny feeling that um, if it really went went bad, Connacht would actually thrive more than Munster. You know, as you say, as you point out, um, very effective in in terms of their their mauling. Yeah, I mean, Martin Murray's been unbelievable. You've Thornbury, you've real quality Boyle. Yeah, just like just real quality um in forwards that they have. Uh, and again, I keep saying this. It, has there been a better kind of link kind of play in the entire URC this season than David Hawkshaw, Jack Carthy? Yeah. So like, has there, has there been a better a better combination than Hawkshaw Carthy? Like it's 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 been it's been it's lit up the whole competition in my in my view. So that's something to um, think about as well. And I think the intriguing thing for Connacht Rugby here is Hawkshaw's a quite a competent ten as well here, Lean. And there will be periods here where Carty will need to be rested. So I think Hawkshaw could slot in seamlessly, along with uh, Conor Fitzgerald as well, to a certain extent of 10 as well. I mean, it's uh, it's very kind of delicately poised here. But as you say, Hawkshaw has made a massive impression here in Connacht. You know, supporters love him in terms of, you know, he's go forward ball, he's game management, and how he really orchestrates. It's another 10, essentially, in that three quarters here, Lean from Connacht Rugby. So they have layers of attacking width here. And I mean, Ralston as well is a guy we haven't really seen a whole lot of, but I suspect that he will be given license here to really hit the line for Ross, with ferocity on Saturday as well, another speed merchant. So I think Munster, you know, it'll be an intriguing three-quarters battle between Hawkshaw, Ralston, against maybe a Fikatoa frisch partnership here, and that could maybe determine no end in terms of who gets the win on Saturday. Yeah, it's, it certainly could. Um, yeah, I, I, you pointed out, and also obviously in terms of the scrum, I mean, potentially, you know, you, you'd have to say Connacht, better scrum, and certainly better scrummaging uh, front row as well. Yeah, we'll just have to kind of gauge that because, I mean, John Ryan probably will be slotting in again um, in that front row. Um, it'll be intriguing to see who gets... The hooker jersey from Munster. You've Niall Scandal there, obviously. You've Dermot Barron. Who are we kind of thinking here in terms of the front row? But as you say, they will be kind of packing down against a very kind of seasoned uh, Connacht rugby, you know, front row, particularly like Sir Dennis Buckley, who's playing superbly well this season since his long injury absence. So it will be intriguing. And I suppose Kieran McDonald here will probably make a debut of some shape or form. I don't see John Klein being rushed back here, do you, Liam, ahead uh, of this interprovincial? No, I, I, I can't see that happening. And, you know, I suppose, look, uh, would we even see a combination of a dog one type burn? That, that would be quite an intriguing combination as well. But yeah, I, I, I think McDonald will, will, be, will be prominent in that game. Probably get the start as well. I think there's an awful lot of subplots here anyway, but hopefully the weather cooperates to a certain extent because I think these two teams will be primed. There's massive, massive implications for whoever wins and whoever loses this uh, game, Liam. I mean... You know, like from a Munster perspective, if they go two from eight here, I mean, you're really looking down the barrel here in terms of URC and, as you say, the European Cup here, really kind of not in any ways reached, like, you know, really depending on results, even at the end of November, which is not very good. And even if Connacht were to get the win here, I mean, it kind of messes them in the chasing pack. So I think whoever wins this on Saturday night will have a psychological boost heading into that incredible block of games now with the European Champions Cup as well, and also with those URC Corona Christmas uh, fixtures as well. So 
I think it's imperative for both sides to get the win here. Yeah, it is. It is because, I mean, it's as brutal a kind of a fixture list going forward in the next month as we've ever had, to be honest with you. So, yeah, it's um, it's all about momentum. And Munster can create more momentum from from that South Africa victory through this and onwards. So, whereas Connacht, I suppose, was pointed out before, they, they got some very good victories together and then they had like a, a month's break. And so it'd be interesting to see how, how they come back for, for this fixture. Exactly, because I had alluded to Munster's schedule. Let's call it out at the end of the year for URC. Munster travels Edinburgh next week, week nine, week 10 of the URC. You have St. Stephen's Day home clash with Leinster Rugby. No give me's there. And then you're coming into then round 11 where you'll have Ulster Munster on the 1st of January. So, I mean, luckily, from a Munster perspective here, home games are imperative and having to get wins here. I mean, you go into a high-flying Edinburgh side there in week nine. It just doesn't doesn't bode thinking about if a loss happens this weekend. And, I mean, you look from a Connacht perspective here, you know, they will be coming at home to Bennett and Rugby, who have been very hit and miss on the road. And then you have uh, Connacht Ulster on the 23rd of December in the sports ground and then culminating here on the 1st of January with a game against Leinster. Uh, at Leinster, probably, is it the Aviva or the S? Not quite sure. But again, Liam, for both sides here, they're earmarking a win here because schedules here are going to dictate very much whether they're in the chasing pack come uh, start next year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean... It- we have said it for a few weeks there, but like, I mean, where it was still possible to be in the chase impact to, to get two wins and suddenly, you know, you're up to 11th, 10th in a table and, and, and that was possible. But that's just getting further and further away now. I think what's intriguing, even more so as a kind of, we call it a subplot, is look at the picture of the Welsh sides travelling um, these next two weekends to South Africa. So while we have Munster and, and Connacht battling away, we have the potential, the Welsh sides are picking up two victories, which is massive, obviously, you know. Uh, and, 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 and it's looking, the South Africans playing England and basically all their top players gone. The Welsh sides have a glorious opportunity to pick up those two victories. Apart from the Dragons here, Aline, let's be pretty honest, has been probably the, the story of the URC so far. Again, let's look at week eight from a Welsh perspective. Storm or Scarlets on Friday at 5 p.m. You have the Bulls against the Ospreys on Saturday at 1 p.m. You have the Lions Dragons on Sunday at 2 p.m. And then you have, I think, an absolute cracker between the Sharks and Cardiff Blues on uh, the 27th of November, which is Sunday, uh, 4.10. So I think from that perspective, Liam, I do probably get your point in terms of, you know, depleted squads to a certain extent. I'm thinking in terms of the Sharks here. I'm thinking in terms of the Bulls and maybe the Stormers, like the Evan Roos fan club that we are in this podcast. He'll be in Twickenham. So maybe there's a little bit of vulnerability here. And I mean, from a Scarlet's perspective, they're nothing to lose, literally. They have a pretty good squad going down there. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Welsh sides do go on because inevitably on week nine, these South African internationals that have been playing the Autumn International Series will not be available for selection here either, particularly the ones that have had significant game minutes in November. So... I think it's another opportunity here for, as you say, the Welsh regions. Now, people might scoff at that idea, but I think might be one or two results here. I generally do uh, in terms of that. 
Um, yeah, so definitely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, even I, I, I would definitely say actually, I'd need to pick out one of the games of the the round would be the Lions and, and the Dragons. You know, two mm. great um, expansive sides, and the Dragons have had a very good season. I, I give them, I'll, I'll tip them to turn the Lions over at home. Great. Yeah. I suppose, Liam. Look, while we're at it here, let's kind of maybe start looking at the rest of the fixtures here. Storm or Scarlets on Friday at five p.m. Who do you fancy here? Yeah, so all the kind of Stormers' big names are, are kind of gone, you know. Um, the likes of Libok and uh, Evan Roos and Stephen Kitchoff and the likes of that. So um, I, I, I still think the Scarlets are just, just they're going to have a horrible season, you know. Um, I, I think it's still the Stormers will, will, will pull through there probably by 10 against the Scarlets, I reckon. Yeah, likewise as well. I think Scarlets have been... Very different, particularly when you consider the performance against Leinster a few weeks ago. That would really sap any ball club's season aspirations, given mm. the manner of that loss. So, look, I think Stormers will be down key personnel, but I think they will find a way. I think 7-10 points is probably a fair indication here of how that game will go. Ulster Rugby have announced their team against Zebri here. Uh, Liam, an awful lot of big guns back like Dwayne Vermeulen. Any hope here for Zebri in the Kingsman? Uh, no. Not at all. No chance whatsoever. Look, Ulster in the Kingspan, they've all, as you said, they've, they've a strong team out and Zebra are just going going to go the other way. They're going down the table. So a comfortable bonus point victory for Ulster. Yeah, I'd go with you there. Uh, I think Ulster rugby would be keen to kind of, you know, really kind of start consolidating again their, one of their top two berths here in the URC. Zebra, as you say, had an encouraging start of the season, but again, you have squad depth issues now. Injuries are kind of coming into play. I think Ulster here by 20 or 30 here. I think there's a bonus point there, definitely, in the third quarter here for Ulster. Benetton, Edinburgh. I think it's an interesting one here, because I think for Benetton, this is kind of save our season territory here, given that their away form has been so poor. And you have an Edinburgh side here that are on the back of a, a very good win against Cardiff Blues before, or Cardiff Rugby, as they're now called in the previous round. So I suppose, Liam, who do you fancy here in Italy between Benetton and Edinburgh? Yeah, I, I, I'll actually will go with the home team, Benetton. You know, it's it's getting to that stage of season where, uh, again, they can still turn their season around and you have to win your home fixtures and certainly you're, you're, even more so your winnable home fixtures. And it's a winnable fixture against against Edinburgh. And I, I, I think Benetton will win and... Comfortable enough, nine ten points in the end. Okay, no, that's interesting. Yeah, because it'll all depend, I think, on team selection here from Edinburgh. Like said, Darcy Graham, will they probably be rested for that Munster game? I think they'll earmark that Munster game at home as a big game for Edinburgh. So I think I will probably go with you there, Benetton. Maybe by three or five uh, for me. Again, Benetton, an awful lot of those Italian squad players have had a very good autumn international series. Even the South African loss, it shouldn't really deflect from that. I think their brand of rugby here, Liam, from an Italian national team perspective, was very pleasing on the eye. Particularly their black play seemed to have an awful lot of cohesion about it. So I think you'll see that in the Benetton performance here. And I really genuinely hope that Benetton do win and continue to kind of stake a claim for a playoff berth, uh, particularly. So we'll give that to the Italians. Bulls, Ospreys, Saturday, 1pm. Any chance here for Toby Boot and the Ospreys in the, in the Transvaal? Yeah, I mean, if they have Reese Webb, I think you've always ha- have someone who's, who's capable of of opening up a game. Yeah, I mean, look, it's still a tough place to go, isn't it? And 
the Bulls probably will have their South Africa A guys back, which is going to make a big difference. Um, I, I would probably think the Bulls will beat the Ospreys by six or seven points. If there is going to be an upset here, I think it might be the Bulls, Ospreys. I think the Ospreys have kind of shown kind of glimpses here of what they're capable of. Bulls, not sure about them this season, to be fair, Liam. Um, it's been a very mixed season, really, you know, just given their performance against Munster particularly. That didn't inspire me much confidence. But, I mean, at home, trans, you know, in, in the Transvaal, it's, uh, it's going to be difficult for the Ospreys. I think even the altitude here, last 20, 30 minutes, could be kind of a key factor here. I'm just going to edge it to the Bulls ever so slightly. But I would not be all surprised, Liam, if the Ospreys did pull up a bit of an upset win, I would say. Let's, let's be fair about it. So maybe I'll just go Bulls by five points. But again, I think that game's really in the balance. Uh, Leinster Rugby entertained Glasgow Warriors on Saturday, 3.15, without Johnny Sexton, who said that he doesn't expect that um, in leg injury to hamper him too much in the next few weeks. Any chance here for Glasgow uh, in the RDS? Yeah, they're, they're, they're always very kind of open games, aren't they? Um, the Leinster-Glasgow games. But I, I, I just feel Leinster, they're going to make a statement when they come back from the All Internationals and they're going to send out a big... Big warrant to rest the league. And I, I, I think myself, Leinster, potentially you're looking at 20-point victory. Yeah, likewise, I uh, think Leinster coming back in 7 from 7. Magnificent haul at the start of the season. Really have opened up an awful lot of daylight between themselves and other teams. I only see one way this is going here, Liam. And I think that's uh, a win for Leinster, probably 20 points, as say. Maybe the weather saves Glasgow Warriors a little bit if it's a little bit inclement. But again, Leinster Rugby have the pack. They have the back line. They have the attacking play. They have the forward power here to really win the game in any direction. So, yeah, there's definitely a bonus point here uh, for sure for Leinster. Munster Connacht, we didn't get a prediction off you there, uh, Liam. Who, who do you fancy here in the Interpro? Yeah, I, I, I think it'll end up something along the lines of Munster... 26 15 six or 16 so i think i think a 10 point victory for munster probably three tries probably not quite the four tries but that's that's what my read would be i think this is savior season for munster rugby i've called out edinburgh away leinster at home ulster away can you really see any games really there where munster are getting a result given their current form this is now the springboard given this African 15 performance. This has to be the springboard now to provide a performance here against Connacht Rugby. I think the save our season message probably been conveyed in University of Limerick in training since that Parker Key fixture. I think Connacht will come. They'll have good moments. But I think Munster need to win, I think more so than Connacht here. And I think they'll just edge it. I think maybe three, five points here. There's nothing between these sides. And I think for certain players in Munster who are representing the province after their performance in the sports ground, I think there is an element of revenge here as well. So I think they'll just tip the balance here. I don't think there's a bonus point here, Liam. But I think three, five points to Munster. But again, things have to go well here from a Munster pack perspective to have any chance here of beating a very good Connacht team. Last two games here, Lions against the Dragons. I suppose the two good new stories here from the URC uh, facing off in Johannesburg. Uh, any chance for the Dragons here? Yes, yeah, it's great to see you. Two kind of unfashionable sides, you know. The, you know, the, the four, literally the four preference 
in in each um, country, you could say. And I, I I think that the Dragons have a really good chance of toppling the Lions here. Um, it's it's like the like the Lions, they almost have um, the players with a system that, that such that if if some players are are out, that the the system still works and and they can still get the victories. And I, I'm, I'm just going to go with the Dragons. I go three or four points. Dragons to win. Godling, I think we have a few Welsh followers at the podcast that love you this week, to be fair. Even tipping everyone from the Welsh regions in South Africa. So um, I'm hoping that this Dragons feel-good story continues, not just for the tinted Irish glasses that I have on with JJ Hanrahan in the books there at Dragons, but I think the URC needs a Welsh region here to really kind of come and be prominent here. And I hope it's probably the Dragons here along with Cardiff Rugby, if I'm being brutally honest. So I'm kind of going to go heart on head here. I think I'm going to go Dragons probably 3-5. to five. But I think it's going to be a very entertaining game here, Liam. Both teams will throw the ball around, particularly in Johannesburg. I think there'll be plenty of tries. I think there'll be bonus points here for both teams on offer here. So I think Dragons probably by five points. But I think there's going to be not a whole lot in this game. And then finally, uh, Liam, Sharks, Cardiff Rugby. I think for me, this is the the fixture of the round, really. I think both teams here on their day can be quite capable of uh, putting in great performances. Yeah, it certainly looks like a tight round. Look, I've kind of said that Cardiff are definitely the pick of the Welsh regions. They're going to be then, like, they're going to be like eight, nine, they're going to be there or thereabouts for European qualification, I think, come the end of the season. Plus the fact that the Sharks, you know, I think going to the Sharks is probably the least intimidating place in terms of conditions-wise even for, for any of the, the touring sides to go, the least challenging. The, the Sharks basically also have like, you know, seven or eight guys away with South Africa this weekend as well. Um, the guys who really give them that, that, that scrummaging power, okay? So, yeah, I would think Cardiff will, will get the victory. I have a feeling that it'll be something like 10, 11 point victory. Yeah, I think Sharks are a little bit vulnerable here, as you said. An awful lot of packed platforms missing. They'll be in Twickenham. They'll be en route back from England to South Africa as this game is going on. So I think, uh, Liam, to be fair, it's a glorious opportunity for Cardiff Rugby. They certainly have the squad to secure this win. I think it just all depends really on the execution on the day here. I think... Uh, you know, the likes of both them here, guys like that, have been playing very, very well. Very impressed in terms of the card of kind of backline play as well. The season own lane as well has been lighting it up. So I think Cardiff for me, probably about seven, ten points here. And I, that would be another good news story for the URC. If Cardiff Blues can stay in the chasing pack here, I think we're really crying out for the Welsh regions to really be competitive here. And it'd be great here if we could see maybe a few Welsh region wins here on week eight, really, to propel them up the table a little bit. So all all to be looking forward to here, Liam. I suppose before we go as well, we have to mention massive congratulations to Portugal. You know, qualifying for the Rugby World Cup 2023, uh, a very dramatic penalty uh, against the United States to secure qualification for 2023. A marvellous tonic for Mediterranean rugby uh, here, uh, Liam. Yeah, well done, well done, Portugal, and they, and they really worked for it. Like you know, they went through phases for a few minutes, and you're wondering where they're gonna try a, a drop at goal. But uh, yeah, fair to they, they stuck at it, and 
But for me, the big question has to be, how can the US rugby, they've now lost two playoffs, yeah. two actual playoffs. They lost a playoff before this as well. Um, and you're kind of thinking, apparently the US are going to be getting the World Cup in two World Cups from now, aren't they? Yeah. The 2031 World Cup is pretty much nailed on. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting times. In terms of Portugal, it's great to see uh, another European side come to the fore. And it's really taking off in, in terms of Europe now with Georgia winning at the weekend as well. So it's all good. Kind of just show the calibre of the second-tier European nations here that they are coming to the fore. My immediate aftermath when I saw the Portuguese lay penalty going over and them qualifying with Spain automatically, just given the whole acrimonious way that they basically got disqualified from the Rugby World Cup tournament. But it just showed that the second-tier European nations are really, you know, the improvement is there. You can see from Georgia. I know you can talk all you want about Welsh selection, but again, a historic win for them in the Principality Stadium. So the standard is pretty good. But going back to the United States here, Dean, in terms of the investment that's being put into the domestic game, as you say, losing a playoff against Chile, now against Portugal, you know, they had that round robin where they were under the gun a little bit against Portugal, having to get a result. But again, this does absolutely nothing for rugby union in the United States, given how sports mad United States is, that kind of brand in terms of struggling, being a losing kind of culture here. It's not going to win any fans over in the United States, particularly from, let's say, home homegrown fans particularly. Yeah, but you see, what I'm trying to figure out then is 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 uh, Major League Rugby, is it just not very good? And the fact that it's not very good and there's kind of maybe second-rate European players being, being brought over, you know, English players, Irish players, guys who would be basically just maybe slightly above AIL level, guys like Man Nanu, who's still tearing up apparently <laughs> there. You know, you have to kind of question this. And I suppose the real question it boils down to is, and I don't think I think they've answered it in a, in in a way, has been over the last five years where they've been earmarking guys who haven't made the grade in professional basketball and American football and, and soccer to a lesser extent. Can you turn those guys into really good rugby players? I'm talking about twenty something year olds, and the answer seems to be no. That you can't. That you need that almost natural, you know. When you talk about late, late could be like 15, 16, but maybe not, not quite after that. Do you know what I mean? So that's something I'm thinking about. Yeah, because, I mean, look at the sports, look at the demographic of sports, particularly the baseball. I'm thinking more of the American football. Now, we've seen that case study with Roman Salanoa, who was in Hawaii, high school, playing American football, and then was talent scouted to get into rugby union. I think that you know, is kind of still a project work in progress, really. We're going to have to see a body of work from Roman here to really kind of prove it, but the initial signs have been promising. It is a good question that you raise here, Liam, in terms of that. Looking at the profile, you're looking at the scouting, the combine reports in terms of your height, your physicality, your weight, what you're bent pressing, that only adds up to a certain part of it. It's a rugby IQ, it's a game management, it's game awareness, and maybe the coaching aspect the United States is fledgling, but I think there needs to probably be more investment on the ground in the US to really identify guys here across the country, not just in the East Coast or maybe in around Illinois or 
Wisconsin or San Diego or California, that really this has to be a really more concerted effort here to really talent pool guys, as you say, 15, 16 years old from high school, uh, even getting it into college level entry to really start kind of pushing rugby programs, particularly at the collegiate level here, Liam. I think the collegiate level could be the key. It could be the the pathway here for success for USA. You see other sports within the USA. The collegiate system is the key. It's the national competition. It breeds success. It breeds quality of competition. So maybe from a rugby union perspective, they have to really sync up with the, the conferences, the ACCs, the Big Ten, these conferences here to really start identifying talent here and bringing it to the grassroots. So... I think there's an awful lot of work for the US rugby here. It's all going good putting a fancy league in, but I've seen one or two of these games, Liam. The intensity and physicality is not there in terms of the breakdown. Again, you say Manunu, Mananu has basically been ripping it up. And I mean, that's kind of an, a warning sign here for the US uh, rugby games here as well, that you'd be hoping that indigenous guys would be kind of stepping up. I've seen AG McGinty has been very prominent here for the US, but again, I felt in that Portuguese game, particularly in the latter stages, the physicality, the people coming off the bench, they weren't at the pitch of the game. And that has been a similar pattern, particularly in that playoff game against Chile, that they've expected teams to roll over. And I think it's your comment at the start of this podcast that you cannot uh, underestimate any more teams in Test Match Rugby. And so it's proved here for the United States. And I think it's a bitter disappointment for US, USA, the organisers, 2031, as you say as well is going to be quick in the in the, the front front mirror. So I think from that perspective, it's a bitter blow. And I think it will probably reduce sponsorship in rugby in the USA as a result. So, yeah, I think an awful lot of soul searching is going to have to be done in US rugby here to really kind of recover from this massive disappointment. Yeah, but there, there are pockets, believe it or not, in America, like Glendale in Colorado and uh, in yeah. California, where rugby is, is big. And as you say... I sometimes think maybe the thing is to, to go collegiate in, in a high school in those particular strong pockets. Yeah. And as I said, like, you know, the, the, so the, the, the local universities there and to have Thursday night, we alluded to before, Thursday night seems to be like free night. <laughs> have have Thursday night uh, televised games. And that, that certainly is a way to, to maybe go forward. Yeah, because it's certainly in America, there's no shortage of games this time of year here, Liam. In terms of Thanksgiving, you're going to have high school football games left, right and centre in every town, every village in America. They will have high school finals, stuff like that. It's that challenge from Rugby Union to find that niche. Weekends is fair enough, but you will have your American football, your ice hockey, your MLS, stuff like that, Major League Baseball. Um, So I think it's a challenge for, but as I say, if they can get a kind of a unique Wednesday night, a midweek game or something like that on NBC or MSNBC, ESPN, Fox, one of these regionals to really showcase rugby as it should be, then I think, you know, that's a promotion. Now, figures-wise, I think have been promising, but again, when you have the US national team not making a World Cup next year, it really does kind of probably undermine a little bit in terms of the progress and the work that's been done here. But the hope is that the US rugby journey doesn't end here. But again, I think there needs to be subtle process improvement changes in the way they identify guys here. Because as you said, that transformation from, let's say, an athlete in one sport when they're lower, in their mid-20s to now just, just the same team working. So I think there might need to be a bit of a retake or a reapproach uh, in terms of their talent scouting. Liam, we might leave it there. 
again, massive congratulations to Portugal, and they will add an awful lot of colour, fervour, and support to France 2023. Liam, many thanks again for your contributions. Uh, this was a lengthy one, but I mean, so much rugby to look forward to, even this weekend again. But uh, many thanks, and have a great weekend. Thanks, Mark, and hopefully a, a very satisfactory Munster victory as well. There you go. Uh, I'll, I'll keep point there. Lads, have a good one. Have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles, and reports.